You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcast. Welcome to the Curated by Podcast. My name is Martin and today we will uh, we'll be talking to uh, DJ Flight. DJ, broadcaster, one of the pillars in drum and bass music, owner of the renowned label Play Music and driving force behind EQ50, the all-female plat- uh, platform working hard to uh, gain fair representation within this music. Hey Natalie, welcome, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's an absolute honor to have you on our podcast series. Um, so yeah, we would like to jump right into it. But um, before we go into that, um, I'd like to start by asking you 10 quick fire questions. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have to answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Oh um, gosh. <laughs> but feel free to elaborate, but try to answer as quickly as you can. Okay. Um, are you ready? I think so. Let's go. Okay. Um, so first question, what was the first track you played at your first set at the Metalheads party? Oh, my very first Metalheads gig. Yeah. So we're talking about 99. Do you know what? I can't for the life of me remember, but I do remember the first tune that I played out at my very first gig in 97. And the only reason I know what that was was because Matrix was playing as well. It was um, someone's birthday party at a wine bar in Soho. And he asked me what it was. And that's probably the only reason why I remember. But it was um, Odyssey Ritual on 720. Yeah, nice little bongo kind of quite spacey sounding. Yeah, wicked tune. Nice. Um, Second question. Who is your biggest musical inspiration? This can be in every genre. There are loads of people. I can't pick just one, but some of them you'll hear in the tracks that we play during this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, some of my biggest all-time inspirations and favourites. Um, I can't answer that, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, uh, it's okay. Right. I'll say, okay, one of my big inspirations is um, Grace Jones. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's the best rave you've ever visited? Oh, my God. One of the best nights I've ever been to was Metalhead's Sunday Sessions at the Blue Note. So I don't know if that comes under rave, um, but if you're talking about a big rave, proper party, um, then I'd probably go for... Maybe the first proper big rave that I went to when I was 16. Um, First ticketed event that I went to that was over 18s or 19s. Yeah, and I was 16 at the time. I'd just left school. And that Mm -hmm. was the last ever elevation at Crystal Palace Sports Centre. And I think, yeah, I think that was when they stopped holding raves there. Um, It still still exists now as a sports centre. People play basketball and go swimming and all that kind of stuff there. And yeah, Yeah. they used to hold raves there. Was it, did they have to stop because of permits or...? I can't remember, but probably, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, They probably just didn't want a load of ravers coming in there every month Mm. or however often it was. Um, But that that kind of... My love for the music had already solidified by then, but then that rave, it just kind of made me want to get more involved. Um, And that was quite a bit before I started buying records. That was like a year or so before. Okay. Um... So the next question that I have for you is uh, who, according to you, is the biggest talent within EQ50 right now? <laughs> I'm not answering that. All of us. <laughs> and that's from the mentees and the mentors. Um, all of the mentees that we're working with currently 
on year two of the mentorship program are all great in different ways as well. Um, they're all sonically different. Um, their personalities are quite different as well. They've all got loads of potential. Some are a little further ahead in their careers and their music production life than others. But I mean, that's the same with the scene in general. We're all at different stages and different points. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd say all of them. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> no favorites. No. <laughs> um, what, what has been the oddest thing to ever happen during one of your sets? There have been a lot. I'm trying to quickly scan through them. Mm. Oddest, I'd say one of my quite, yeah, probably one of the oddest gigs I played was one of the first times I went to Italy and I played in Milan or just on the outskirts of Milan. And um, the guy that brought me over and was looking after me on the way to the venue um, was like, well, don't be surprised when you get there. It was basically this disused train depot so you could see some of the tracks in the floor still but it was a big art installation now there wasn't much art on the walls or even in the building it was almost like a cave type warehouse big thing and people were walking around and i had to climb up two ladders on scaffolding because the dj setup was at the top of the scaffolding oh, really? and it was and it, i could feel it wobbling the whole time i was djing and like it felt really weird and i was quite scared and i don't know what kind of health and safety measures they went through <laughs> but this was a long time ago this must have been was it a big rave no it was literally an art installation so there were f not many people walking around while oh, i played really? A few people started dancing as I was DJing, but yeah, it was just literally me and a couple others providing the soundtrack for this art installation exhibition. Um, yeah, that was quite odd. That was over 20 years ago. Yeah, so, music gets yeah. you to some weird places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, weird situations. <laughs> All right. Um, what is the, the most important lesson that you've learned from Chemistry and Storm? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's kind of a double-headed answer. So one which came from them and Fabio equally was um, having the belief in my selection and playing what I truly love and what I think people should hear. So not just generally playing what... I know is going to get a big reaction because that's too easy. Um, yeah, so standing by what I believe is good music. And the second one is um, I took a lot from watching how they conduct themselves in clubs. I was lucky enough to go out on the road with them a couple of times before I was DJing. I took some photographs of them because I was quite heavily into photography and I actually started a degree at university in documentary photography. Um, and that was my way of like trying to involve myself more in the music before I started DJing. Uh, yeah, so I went out on the road with them and just watching how, yeah, they conduct themselves like on the drive-in to the club, when they get there, how they kind of greet and talk to people, how they are behind the decks. Yeah, I learned a lot from that. And hopefully I've kind of carried those lessons forward throughout my career. I'm sure. I'm certain. So next question that I have is, uh, what's the best tune or your favorite tune released on Play Music? Oh, <laughs> I don't there must think be one I'm... that stands out. <laughs> 
Yeah, I wouldn't say that I've got a personal favourite because obviously if you're releasing music on a label, you love all of it equally. Of course, yeah. um, Martin, next to you, has got to be a standout just because it was the first one. And it was, even though it kind of reminded me of Johnny L and had like shades of a couple of other people, it was still quite unique and it stood out a lot at that time. Um, also, Survival Stasis, that was quite a big one. And I was quite lucky to beat Marcus Intellex to sign in that <laughs> one. <laughs> he wanted it for Solar as well. But yeah, I mean, I love all the music that I released and it could be making a comeback soon. Oh. Yes. So there's a little a, bit of info a, for you. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. You heard it here first. Um, what's the favourite radio station that, have you, that you have worked at? I've loved all of them for different reasons. Um, starting with Pirate Radio, it was exciting and it was me kind of finding my feet with mixing and DJing first. One of the main lessons that I learned from those first pirate, uh, those early days on pirate radio was um, radio gives you so much more scope with what mm. you can play. Like you don't have to worry about making sure everyone on the dance floor is enjoying what you're playing, which I've probably made some mistakes over the years and not considered that enough. But then are you a proper DJ if you've never cleared a dance floor? I don't know. Uh, yeah, of course, <laughs> That's what yeah. Deepridge says as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, One Extra again was another steep learning curve in terms of presenting a show um, and kind of growing into myself a bit more. Um, I've always been quite shy and I was really insecure when I was young. Um, so mm -hmm. being forced to actually present a show because that was the first time I hosted shows on Pirate it would always be MCs or just music for two hours. So yeah, that kind of brought me out of my shell a bit more. But then with the Prism Radio stuff that I've been doing more recently as a producer, that's really rewarding in a different way because it's me in the, in the driving seat, in the back, taking a back seat. Like I'm yeah. not really, I don't really present many shows on there. It's working with people in prison and helping them make radio and teaching them how to make radio, but also kind of, bringing them out of their shells um, yeah, yeah, like yeah. other people did for me um, providing them with skills building their confidence all that kind of thing yeah so yeah I wouldn't say I have a favourite they've all been really cool in different ways they've all been key in the development for you mm. as, a, as a DJ yeah. as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally mm -hmm. so okay if you had to choose um, what's the best club night? Is it Metalheads at Blue Note, Speed at Mars Bar or Swerve? <laughs> well, I can discount one straight away because I never went to Speed at Mars. Oh. I remember trying to get in there when I was about 16. Um, and because I wasn't used to going to the West End, the guy that drove some of me and my friends up there, like I had my little A to Z book out and we just couldn't find the little side road that it was on. We were just driving <laughs> up and down Charing Cross Road for ages and then eventually gave up. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately I didn't go there. So, oh, so, Swerve is a big one, but I think I'm going to have to go for Metalheads at Blue Note just because I wasn't DJing then or then I just started to. So I was 17 when I first started going to Blue Note and 20 when it finished. And mm -hmm. so there was quite a lot of progress for me in that respect. Um, but Swerve, I became a resident at, so I loved it in a different way. Yeah, Metalheads of Blue Note, there was just, there was nothing else like it. There's not been anything else like it. A couple of nights that are getting close to that. But yeah, that was the one, honestly. 
Uh, it's one of the the nights I wish I I could have gone at to. Mm. Uh, I'm too young. I'm too young. Yeah, it's 28. Quite... <laughs> well, you've got age on your side. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite hard to put into words just how special um, and exciting it was. Like I used to get butterflies getting ready to go there every week. Yeah, it's uh, for what I've heard, it sounds amazing. Mm. Really small club as well. I think a lot of people assume that it was quite big, but it was tiny really tiny club and everyone would be packed in mm. and uh, I think Storm said it was maybe between two and 250 capacity the basement um, oh, wow, that's tiny, and some yeah. Of, yeah some of that space was taken up by the Eskimo noise sound system the speakers uh, the DJ booth was really small kind of in a corner and it was almost like you were on top of them as the ravers because everyone was so packed in uh, yeah, it was incredible night. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. And it was a Sunday, like seven till midnight as well. So only five hours. But yeah, nothing has yeah. beaten that for me yet. It's all about the, the intimate rooms, right? Mm, definitely. Yeah. Okay, I've got one final question for you. Okay. Um, who would you like to still want to do a back to back with that you have not done yet? I'd probably have to say Fabio. Oh, really? We've never played back to back before. We've been on many of the same lineups. Um, he's one of my heroes in Jungle Drum and Bass, as I mentioned, but I don't think we've ever been booked to play back to back. He's guested on my radio show on Rinse FM. I can't, maybe we did do a little back to back then or did he do his own mix? But yeah, in a club. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've played back to back with quite a few people that I would want to as well. So yeah, Fabio. Okay, and going off of this question, do you prefer solo sets or back-to-backs? I've got to be careful how I word this because I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like them in different ways, I, yeah. but with, with I love both, yeah, for different reasons, but with back-to-back -back mm. sets, you're kind of tailoring, well, for me, I tailor how I play a little bit so it fits with the other person. Still the music that I'm into and that I would play ordinarily. But with solo sets, I can kind of go off onto my own little tangents if I feel yeah, to, yeah. particularly if it's a longer set. But yeah, I love both. Yeah. I feel like I haven't answered a lot of these questions that you wanted me it's, to hear. It is okay. No, no, you you've did, did it exactly how you needed it to. So. Um, yeah, so that, that wraps up the 10, uh, or 11 quickfire questions. Um, thank you for your answers. You're welcome. Um, yeah, we've invited you to uh, here tonight to also select a few tracks that have uh, formed your musical taste. Mm -hmm. um, before we'll listen to those tracks, could you maybe to those who don't really know you, which I doubt that are, that's very few people, who's DJ Flight? DJ Flight is a South Londoner. Um, I've been DJing for over 25 years. I just recently had a short UK and EU run celebrating that fact um yeah so i started djing and mixing properly in early-ish 97 my first ever gig was later that year in the november um a woman that i knew from going to blue note actually um i got to know her there I used to see her there every week she's like oh i'm having a birthday party do you know any djs and i was like yeah i i am <laughs> since then i guess two of my main big breaks were in 99 when I started playing for Metalheads 
And then in 2002, when I joined One Extra, BBC One Extra, and I was one of the drum and bass hosts, for a while we were broadcasting 11 hours of drum and bass every week on the station. Um, so me, Bailey, and L Double had the three kind of ni- even into nighttime slots. And then there was the mix show, which was overnight, two till six in the morning. And that was hosted by Sapo, Friction and Chrissy Chris at different times. Um, we had a lot of fun there. I've run my own label, Play Music, that started in 2005, released music by Martin, Survival, Visionary, Beta 2, Moses and Spy. Who am I forgetting? That's really bad. LIS, which was Survival and Chris in Perspective. Uh, yeah, some great tracks. And yeah, I guess radio has been a large part of what I've done. I've worked as a radio producer for the last 10 years now with a charity called Prism Radio Association. Um, I'm actually on a sabbatical for a couple of years from that. I've had the last year off and I'm having another year off. Co-founder of EQ50 with Mantra, Chickaboo, Sweet Pea. Jenna G and Ali Cat have been involved at different times as well. And we're currently partway through the second year of our mentorship program which is another of the most rewarding and important things that I've been involved in Um, just the way that that mentorship program and EQ50 in general has kind of changed and shaped the scene over the last few years we're all really proud of Um, I've released music as well in the past with Breakage under the name Alias and I had a track out on Carbon actually about year and a half ago nearly mm-hmm. end of 2021 that came out that's called Overture nice thank you um, yeah so it's been an interesting journey for you from raver to DJ to radio host to podcast uh, maker as well mm-hmm. uh, when you look back at the young Natalie what were your hopes and dreams did you have a plan no I've never really had a plan <laughs> I guess I guess there are dreams and wants, like you have daydreams about what you'd like to do. Um, Initially, well, my first main dream, and it's still an ambition of mine, is to one day write and produce a film. Mm -hmm. That was what I wanted to do from when I was like 15 or 16. So before I even thought about music, um, I remember having one of my careers advice sessions with a tutor at school and I told him that I wanted to get into the films, making films. And he said, well, do you know how to do that? And I said, no, not really. He said, well, maybe you should think about something else then. And I thought, what the hell? (laughs) That's not really what you want to hear from a teacher. So yeah, fast forward a little bit. I did graphic design at college for two years, um, which I really loved. I was always into art, drawing and painting. Um, particularly portraits I've always been into portraiture Um, then I started a degree in documentary photography at university Um, initially the degree that I first wanted to apply for was film, video and photography which seemed perfect to me but then they split them up into three separate pathways anyway I only lasted one term there because by that point I was raving like two, three, sometimes four times a week and going to South Wales, it was actually the same university that High Contrast went to a little bit oh, after. Oh, really? But yeah, I dropped out after one term. But in that time, I'd started buying records while I was at college doing graphic design, just one or two here and there, because that was the main way that you could 
hear the music regularly if you weren't listening to pirate radio or buying the tape packs now yeah. i couldn't i never really bought tape packs i remember buying like maybe a few single cassettes andy c randall um but the tape packs were quite expensive and i didn't have loads of money i was working part-time in mcdonald's while i was at college and so the little bit of money that i had coming from a working class family as well um never much money around the little bit of money I had I'd spend on going raving the odd record here and there and clothes sometimes yeah um yeah so I think even some of my friends from school were putting on their own parties boys this was when we were like 14 15 so I was always around DJing but it wasn't until I physically saw Chemistry and Storm in a club in 1995 when I was 17 Mm -hmm. that's when I thought okay maybe I can be more than a graphic designer designing the logo for my friends flyers or taking photographs maybe I can be a bit more involved in the music Um, so that's when I started buying records here and there and then while I was in uni a guy showed me how to queue up properly and then I came home Christmas dropped out and then yeah started mixing properly from 97 you found a new passion yeah yeah and I think so starting to mix and then getting a job in a record shop part time big up Sherry who was one half of the Rude Project a classic tune called Thunder she made she was a promoter and she'd worked in vinyl distribution and then opened up her own shop and she gave me a job and uh, yeah working there and then starting on pirate radio it kind of made me think okay maybe there could be something in this and when I recorded my first two or three mixtapes, I gave them to Chemistry and Storm because I looked up to them so much. I idolised them. I thought, they're incredible. Like, who better to get advice from? And they gave me really good advice, so it went from there. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you were talking about uh, radio, uh, mm-hmm. specifically pirate radio. Yeah. Um, this has, has to, uh, this was essential in the development of you, in, for you as a DJ. Um, so, how did you learn your craft? Did you, what, what, what were your first turntables? Did you? I never had my own turntables until Storm gave me Kemi's pair after she passed away, after she died in the accident. Um, so I would always practice. So the same uh, friends that I had at school, this group of boys. Um, one of them, Brian, he was a wicked DJ. He was like another Randall, like super tight, locked mixing and wicked selection. He used to keep his decks at this um, boy's house who lived over the road from where I grew up, my mum's house. Uh, big up Nicky Possel. <laughs> um, and so sometimes they'd just go around and hang out, play Tekken and Street Fighter mm-hmm. um, and take it in turns mixing. And then one day after I'd come back from uni, I got up and went to the decks and shopped them because I knew how to mix and they didn't know that I did. Um, yeah, so I would practice there and then when I got in, when I got the job at the record shop, I would practice there as well at work. So yeah, I was practicing quite regularly. I think I was working at the shop maybe two days a week, then it went to three days. Um, yeah, just practice all day, listen to the promos, take free records home. But yeah, I didn't own, I've never bought my own turntables, basically. I couldn't afford them and had nowhere to keep them when I was at home and young. Uh, but yeah, I've still got them over there. 
Kemi's turntables. One's in a box actually because it needs servicing, but one's out. Amazing. Gets, yeah, it gets used. Yeah, good. So if there hadn't been no pirate radio, the musical landscape would have been very different, I think. Um, so you move towards the present. Um, yeah. What has taken over the role from pirate radio? And what is with platforms such as Spotify, the role of radio in the music landscape, do you think? I think radio is still really important, particularly specialist shows on radio, because mm. you're getting people presenting music um, when they're a good specialist host and present a good show. You're, you should be being shown music that you might not necessarily know about, that you've artists that you've probably never heard of before and you should be introduced to music that you didn't know that you would have liked um you don't get that with spotify i know the way podcasts have changed on spotify now is different so you can include music where for for quite a while you weren't able to it was literally just speech podcasts that they had yeah. on the platform so yeah in that respect i think the the human connection is still really important. It's the not just way, music. Yeah, the same way record shops worked. You need people to suggest things to kind of refine your own palette and your own tastes and work out exactly what you like, rather than being fed things by an algorithm. Yeah. Because it's, it's just a lot of dots and lines and it's a computer basically, so you might not because we're human and we go through different emotions and feelings and thoughts every single day, one day the, al the algorithm might be feeding you a load of tracks that you're not into at all, but you might like them next week because you're in a different mood. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the human connection is definitely the main, the main and most important part of that, yeah. sharing yeah. and finding music. Yeah, that's why I'm really happy that the Cool FM has made a comeback. Yeah, everyone's loving it. Do you know what? When I saw the roster, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's massive. It is it's massive. It's mental. Yeah, it's mental. Yeah. Um, I didn't think there were going to be so many artists doing shows on there. It's huge. Um, but the response that the station has had so far, even on the launch day when we were all up there playing back to back and stuff, Genius mm. told me that the website crashed four times <laughs> and they had to keep putting more, um, what is it they have to add? Ba more bandwidth. Ba yeah, bandwidth, they had, yeah, had to keep adding bandwidth because it just kept crashing. So Amazing. many people were tuned in. It just shows you how important it still is, like you yeah, just yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also having the resources to do that, like Cool FM as it was, didn't have the resources that Rinse mm. FM have and have been able to push into the relaunch. Um, yeah. And they're going to do the same with SWOO as well. well SWOO, yeah. Still, I, I just yeah. wanted to say yeah, they, they recently announced that as well. Mm -hmm. Amazing, yeah. Good things happening on radio, uh, on the definitely. radio front. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, you said you had a label. Well, we touched on, touched base on that already. Uh, from 2005 to 2010, right? More or less. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, there was a little gap in between. And how did you manage to get your name away from BBC in the future after you lost the One Extra show? Well, people still reference me for the show, which is really nice that course, they yeah. remember it and remember it in such a nice, fond manner as well. Mm -hmm. I think it touched a lot of people and not just my show, like what we did for drum and bass in general. And I've been saying it a lot more recently. It's not 
given as many props as it should be because in that period is when the music truly went international. So some people had been going to the States and Canada since the 90s, um, some other countries, but the way it exploded on a global level and you're starting to hear producers making really amazing high quality music in all these different places around the world, that was, I think, um, One Extra had a large hand in that. And just some of the shows that we used to do, like connecting people, having web chats going. I remember Pendulum jumping in the web chat on L Double Show and I was there in the One Extra studio typing from my side. They were typing from Australia and there was all these people. Like we used to... I remember when I started, my first regular listeners were Scotland, Scottish people in Scotland listening regularly. They were like, they would always text in. But US would always listen. Um, remember people listening from the UAE, um, Asia. Yeah, so it's nice that people remember that time. But also, I don't think I'll ever fully get away from it because people know me for the one extra show. Of course, But I yeah. guess I had to... I just carried on playing, you know? Um, mm. Carried on doing my thing, supporting new artists, yeah, getting gigs where I could. Um, but there was a time actually where, far, like, going forward a few years after that, around 2015 to 16, I could feel myself kind of being erased and my contributions being erased from the scene because there were a few more women coming through by that point um, and the coverage that was happening in magazines and from like bigger platforms they weren't including me and I thought hold on a second like at one point I was arguably the highest profile woman in drum and bass through having the show on the BBC on One yeah. Extra like this huge platform and people aren't mentioning that when they're talking about women in drum and bass so I kind of had to really fight hard to get myself back out there um, and just use my elbows a little bit to fight my way back to the forefront kind of thing yeah I think that answers your question <laughs> definitely 100% yeah so um, one of the things that you're doing right now as well as EQ50. You uh, you started in 2018, if I recall yeah. correctly, uh, as a mental program and to create awareness for a more inclusive drum and bass scene or music industry. Um, looking back at the f past four years or almost five years, uh, what have you realized with EQ50? What did you manage to, to do? We've achieved a lot. One of the big things for me is the personal relationships that have developed out of that. That's like, aside from the amazing achievements that year one mentees have got to, year two are bound to head that way as well. And just other stuff that we've influenced um, as EQ50. But yeah, the personal relationships, um, I feel like I've got the best solid loving and supportive crew around me. We all love each other to the bone. We're on WhatsApp every single day. <laughs> We've got our, our WhatsApp chat. It's just been a real boost. And I feel like that has been a big helping hand in where I've got to over the last few years personally as well, musically, um, especially the last couple. So yeah, I love, 
Hi. Sorry. <laughs> I've locked my cat out because she was going to do the same thing. I can't. She's going to be very loud if I do that. So I've made the decision to just leave her walking around me. So. But she is in need of some affection, but she'll get that later. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. Let's go back. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, just having, like, the others as my closest support network in music and outside of that has, mm-hmm. has just been incredible. Um, yeah, it's quite amazing just seeing the influence that we've had. Again, another thing that I don't think people are giving enough respect and props to you in terms of how we've influenced other labels and other initiatives to start and doing mm. their own mentorship programs, which obviously is a great thing because we need more of that in general yeah. and not just the kind of mentoring that labels and label heads do when they want to sign music from an artist or sign an album. Just people lending their time and knowledge in general. Yeah, in a way you've been a catalyst for those yeah, mentorship so. programs. Yeah. yeah, I think so. But also when it started, I don't think it could have happened before that because... Um, obviously there have been a lot of women involved in drum and bass um, in the forefront and behind the scenes as well and yeah. um, like most of my big opportunities have come via women whether it was Joe Hines signing me to her agency that was my first agent she'd worked at Metalheads um, vinyl distribution loads of other things in the scene like if you if you're if you go out regularly in London you know who Joe is and Zara as well she came from Reinforced Metalheads um She's worked for Dance Valley and loads of other stuff, run her Mm -hmm. own nights, helped, was part of the founding crew of co-op with the Reinforce lot when they were starting the Broken Beat Night. They've been around for years. Um, So yeah, they've been different women DJing and producing and promoting. But I think because there weren't loads of us involved at the same time, kind of near each other, we've all been quite separated in different cities. Um, Jenna G has been up in Manchester, we were around the same time but yeah because everyone's been kind of a bit it's been a bit disparate it had to wait i think for there to be even more women coming through we obviously had feline running in the second half of the noughties but that was more events that wasn't anything like mentoring or yeah taking like new new people under our wing uh, yeah, yeah. That was that that was that was fun and it was work for us. Yeah, so there's definitely been a big shift in uh, mm. representation in the last few years. There has. It feels like, and we're all saying the same thing, that things have regressed quite a lot over mm. over the last six months, especially really? when we're looking at line. Yeah, when we're looking at lineups, um, there is still a lot of white male only lineups out there. Um, if we're seeing w- women on the lineup, there's one, or you might get two playing a back-to-back set. Yeah. More often than not, they're white as well. Um, there's still nowhere near enough support for black women in jungle and drum and bass. There have been more coming through. I actually did um, a series of posts in. I can't remember if it was 20. I think it was 2019 Black History Month, October, mm-hmm. and. I just got fed up of magazines not doing enough (laughs) to promote us. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do one post every day for the month of October for Black History Month, but make it Black Herstory. So just just highlight various black women 
that have been involved in the UK jungle and drum and bass scene. And that kind of helped bring a couple of names like Amar and Sheba Q and Dark Phoenix. Most of the others were either already known like me, Kemi, Diane Charlemagne, or had worked behind the scenes. So it opened up people's eyes to who has been around. Um, but yeah, we're, we're seeing this, um, we're seeing things regress a little bit at the moment, which is a, a shame, shame, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, there's, we're still fighting against that and there are a lot of other people still fighting against it. It just gets really exhausting sometimes. I understand, yeah. Really exhausting. I mean, you're hoping that's, that it would stick at a certain point, but mm. apparently it still glides off somehow. Do you think the major platforms are doing enough? This no, <laughs> no, okay. still not. Yeah, it's a shame. They, they never have really, and they're still not. Um, mm. I'm hoping things are going to change slightly with some of them. Um, I think it just needs more editorial and staff changes. Um, yeah. But obviously, with some of the bigger platforms, particularly those that still print magazines, money is an issue. Yeah, And so I know they're balancing getting enough advertising money to kind of be able to be able to produce it. But yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot more that could be done. Definitely. Yeah, the, the, I think the best thing to do is just keep pushing. Mm. Um, I know for a fact that here in the Netherlands, we have a new uh, all-female collective that's recently started uh, halfway through last year. It's called Flux. Um, and they consist of seven female DJs at the moment. And they right. are trying to represent have more women and uh at least not all white male lineups yeah uh in the netherlands and yeah it seems to uh to work yeah yeah we more. we have had people contact us from i think we might have had someone contact eq50 from the netherlands before hmm. but um yeah in austria and different places there are a lot of different crews popping up and it's not just gender and race it's um, sexuality as well. So of course, yeah. we need a lot more. It's got a little bit better over recent years, partly due to unorthodox, but Chickaboo has been like yeah. <laughs> the main person, like shouting yeah, about this for, sure. for years. Um, and that's good. But yeah, 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 yeah. People um, maybe but, don't like it, but it, it has to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because occur, yeah. we've got all these different people in society, so we need to represent society, society as it is, yeah. and make sure that there are queer people, make sure that there are people with disabilities being helped um, and supported. Should they want to, should more want to get involved in the yeah. music? Um, but that all comes like it's not just in terms of DJing and MCing and producing. Um, venues have to make sure that they're accessible as well. Yeah. Um, and things that you're putting online should be accessible. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done, but uh, mm -hmm. we can't deny that some progress is being made, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're proud of everything we've achieved. Um, even when you look at like the year one mentees, Nia Archives. <laughs> like we, we knew <laughs> she mean, was going to yeah. be, yeah, we knew she was going to be big when we first came across her. And it was actually before we opened up the first year mentorship and she applied and we were like wow she's very different but she's got something um and then yeah we saw that she'd applied and we were like yes <laughs> and mandy dextrous has absolutely smashed it um yeah it's just about giving people opportun the opportunity exactly and watching them run with it and yeah. both of them have done exactly that 
Yeah, you're giving the those people a platform. Mm, yeah. Like a, it's like a springboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what are the plans for EQ50? Looking at the future, uh, are are you going to get year three mentees? Um, and if people are interested, where can they sign up? It might be handy to give that a small plug as well. Yeah. So the mentorship program we um, recognize is the thing that we can have most influence with. Mm-hmm. We always need more women and non-binary people producing the music. Um, then they can go into DJing should they want to. Yeah. Um, but that's where we kind of wanted to focus on. I mean, there are a lot of DJs, DJ DJs. They don't seem to need any help with that at the moment. Um, it would. We might actually think of doing an MC slash vocalist mentorship or just some sessions, some free online sessions or in-person sessions. Um, but yeah, the main focus for EQ50 is the mentorship program. So as mentioned, we're partway through year two. Year three is not going to start <laughs> until sometime next year. Um, okay. We had to take quite a long break after year one finished. Um, mm-hmm. Just because we started it during COVID, nobody knew what was happening. Um, we were kind of just seeing how it went as we went. We obviously had a plan, but because we didn't know when events were going to come back or anything like that, we kind of had yeah. to just see how it went as we went along. Um, this year is completely different because everything is go, go, go. So some of the mentees DJ regularly and they work and have got, some have got families. Um, so there's all this other stuff going on. Plus we've all got our own stuff going on. So it's working in a slightly different way than year one. But yeah, this year is going to go up until December. Okay. Year two mentees. That's when they finish. So depending on how long we need to take a break for <laughs> um, and have a breather from it, we will start year three sometime in 2024. Okay, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah, just keep an eye on our socials, on our per- personal accounts, um, the EQ50 websites, eq50.co.uk, eq50dnb on across all the socials. Just keep an eye on those. We've got a private Facebook group if any women and non-binary people want to join that. Um, it's good for sharing information. Um, we've got a Discord channel as well, uh, which is open to anybody. We've got a couple of channels that are private just for women and and non-binary non-binary people um but yeah hit us up anytime amazing um so yeah uh we've arrived at the 10 tracks that you've selected Woo! um (laughs) yeah so um yeah you've you've selected a few tracks uh, that have been fundamental for you as as a dj or have been a major influence for you in the past um and present maybe even the first one being uh, Horace Andy uh, with the track Zion Gate, and it goes a yeah. little bit like this. The inside, Zion Gate so yeah, Horace Andy, I've heard that name before because um, if I recall correctly, the Caliber and uh, High Contrast have sampled a tune of theirs. Yes, the horns. Mr. Majestic. Yeah, so that track is Money Money by Horace Andy. I nearly picked that one because everyone knows the horns. They'll be like, oh yeah. But I absolutely love him. He's 
probably my favourite singer in reggae. I was brought up on reggae. Um, my mum was a serious, still is, but not so much anymore, serious reggae head. Even when she was like 16, she started going into reggae record shops and buying Seven Inches. Um, my dad's Jamaican. Obviously loves yeah. reggae. He was he was a bit more of a soul head, but obviously loved reggae. Um, and he actually used to help Cox and Sound sometimes load the boxes okay. when they were having their sound nights. Um, and he knows a lot of people from Brixton and, yeah, he's kind of been involved. Um, yeah, so I've got a strong background in reggae. Horace, so my mum loved Dennis Brown, actually, and Bob mm-hmm. Marley. They're her favourite reggae singers. but And I love them as well, but I probably kind of felt that I had to find my own favourite. <laughs> and I love Horace's voice. It's really sweet. I love most, if not all, of the songs he's released. Like, his ca- reggae singer's catalogue is just incredible. Yeah. And I also feel like reggae artists have some of the best voices on the planet as well some of the best singers i've seen him once by himself at the jazz cafe in london me and breakage went to see him Mm. and breakage was a little bit annoyed because whoever was engineering didn't put enough reverb on his (laughs) mic (laughs) so he didn't quite sound the same as his recordings but um yeah it was still an incredible gig and of course he's worked with massive attack who i've loved over the years as well um, particularly during their first few albums, I think. Uh, Mezzanine is one of my favourite albums. And I love Incredible the fact album, that, yeah. that they made him part of the tour band and got him to kind of reversion some of his classic songs for their releases. Uh, yeah, I love Horace. He's the greatest. It's hard not to love. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, the second tune you chose was um, Grace Jones with Walking in the Rain. Walking down the street, kicking cans, looking at the billboard. It's a uh, yeah, bit of a dubby disco tune with a mm-hmm. strong message and a catchy hook. What made you pick this track? So it's on one of my favourite albums, Nightclub In, which I actually love the artwork of as well. Um, it's kind of a painting um, done by her then partner, Jean-Paul Goude. And um, I've always found Grace Jones very striking. She's obviously very striking. Mm. The androgynous look, just the way she is, like I see her as art. She's almost like a piece of art. Um, She modeled, she's acted, she's been a singer, songwriter, producer. I've seen her live about three or four times. And they were all incredible. Like when you listen to the recordings, you don't realize how powerful her voice is until you hear her live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think she had a very strong um, and quite major effect on me because I remember seeing her on TV when I was young and just seeing like the response to her. Now, obviously, it was partly sexism, partly racism. There was one show that she was on, this um, TV host called Russell Hartley, or Russell Harty. You can probably find it on YouTube. And Mm -hmm. um, she's been invited onto this TV show and he talks to her a little bit and then brings the next guest on. And he's much more interested in the next guest and he literally turns his back to her. 
<laughs> and she's like, what the hell is going on? So she starts playing up and she kind of hits him on the arm a little bit. And I remember the reaction of the media and papers and stuff after that really demonised her. Yeah. And I thought, but this woman's fantastic. Like, and I recognised this when I was really young. I also had my hair cut really short at one point. So <laughs> people used to call me a diva who was um, a house singer. She released some classics like around uh, early 90s, I think. But I think it was probably more the Grace Jones influence. And I was called tomboy because I liked playing football and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But yeah, great Grace Jones has been there for a long time. Um, yeah, I've got the vinyl of the album Nightclub in just down there on my shelf. It runs deep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cheers. So um, the next track that you've uh, chosen is Soul to Soul, uh, featuring Karen Wheeler, Back to Life. Classic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a classic. What, what can mm -hmm. you tell, tell us about this tune? Yeah, I think this is probably one of the most obvious tunes out of the 10, but Soul to Soul were everything. Mm. They were everywhere. They were a British group who, they smashed music. Like they had number ones here, they conquered America. Um, I loved the look of them, especially, so they had a couple of singles out before Back to Life, but because of the music video that came out with the Back to Life single release, um, it kind of crystallized what I loved about them and just seeing them and on top of the pops and seeing the music video, just these funky dreads doing their thing. And Karen Wheeler's voice, she's, for me, she's one of the top three singers to come out of the UK ever. Oh, wow. Um, the other two are Diane Charlemagne and Misha Paris. Um, yeah, for me, they're like the three best singers to mm. ever come out of the UK. Um, I just love the song also. I really wanted their merchandise when I was young, but my mum couldn't afford it. And so oh. I used to draw their Funky Dread logo on all of my school books. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to be in Soul to Soul. And then when they, there was um, a song called Get Alive, they featured loads of little kids in it. And I thought, oh, if only I could be one of those kids in the video. <laughs> they were a bit younger than me by that point. But um, yeah, I just really wanted to be a part of Soul to Soul. And I loved what they did and stood for. Yeah, they've had massive influence in, uh, in music in the mm. UK. Yeah, I think that just the way they did things as well. Um, actually, one episode of the Windrush Stories podcast that I produced in season one, I spoke to Lloyd Bradley who's an author and has done various other things um, but he's he's a renowned kind of music and culture critic and he spoke about Soul to Soul in that and just how influential they were in terms of how they ran things so they had their night with the sound system at Africa Centre which was a venue in Covent Garden Yeah, and obviously with a sound system and doing radio, pirate radio. I used to listen to Jazzy B on Kiss FM as well, actually. Through that, they could test out their productions, cut it to dub play, play it on the radio, play it at the sound, at the system nights, and kind of refine and hone like all producers do um, when they first test out dubs, and then get it onto the street. So get some test presses, distribute them amongst DJs, and then get some white labels on the street. 
um, and then with the merchandise, and it kind of became a brand. It was kind of almost like a way of life, like Jungle became. Yeah. So a lot of people grew up like I did, and even those who are a bit older, they saw what Soul to Soul were doing, and it's influenced how they've worked. And it's just this continuation of sound system culture, like this knowledge and way of doing things being passed down through the generations. Yeah, Soul to Soul, big. And I quite often forget to mention how much I loved them <laughs> and how they influenced me when I'm talking about things like this. Yeah. So, yeah, we're glad that you put them on the list. Mm. Um, it, it brought me back as well. Cool. Um, so next year you've uh, selected for us is SL2, Way In My Brain. Hey! <laughs> Yeah, so um, if I recall correctly, SL2 are Slipmat and Lime, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and wasn't... But they the also had dancers, sorry to interrupt. So there was um, an MC whose name I forget right now, but they also had two dancers who were part of SL2. Oh, really? Uh, they two went women. everywhere with them. Yeah, um, so two women, one called Kelly and one called Joe. Now, hmm. Joe actually produced some tunes as well. And one of them is R-Type, which is one of the greatest jungle tunes, like one of the oh, really? most classic tunes in our history. Amazing, the more you know. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. S- Slipmat's still around, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah uh, I think he plays a lot playing. of old school sets and house. Exactly, yeah. What about Lime? Where are they now? Um, I'm not sure what he's doing now. I don't think he's released anything for a while and you don't really see his name on old school mm-hmm. lineups either. And we've got no idea where Joe is. Um, I think a year or two ago, we did a series of posts um, that Mantra wrote up about women jungle producers of the 90s. And she really tried hard to track down Joe and it was just like walls <laughs> in front of her. That's a shame. So yeah, wherever yeah. Joe is... We respect you and we love you. Come back. (laughs) (laughs) How did this tune end up on your list? So this was from my earlier days um, of like starting to follow the music religiously. I used to listen to pirate radio quite a lot. Some of my friends at school, their older brothers and sisters would have tapes from pirate radio or from raves and sometimes they'd bring them in and we'd listen to them during lunch or break or naughtily in lessons. But yeah, so I was listening to Pirate and Kiss FM. There was a show called The House That Jack Built, mm-hmm. hosted by a DJ called Steve Jackson. And SL2 were just one of the acts that, they were huge. Like, they were on top of the pops. They did really well with um, On A Raggatip. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so yeah, so On A Raggatip is actually on the same 12-inch as Way In My Brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, I won't go for the most obvious one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually saw them perform. They did a PA at Club 2000, which was an under-18s event that I used to go to on Sundays when I was about 14, 14 slash 15. And yeah, it was a Sunday afternoon, 4pm till 9pm. And you just see a whole bunch of young teenagers <laughs> descend on Streatham High Road and go to this club. Normally they had um, like Fridays and Saturdays was over 19s or 21s and it would just be a pay £20 on the door to get in and you can drink as much alcohol as you want. Yeah. Uh, but obviously I didn't go to that because I was too young, not that I wanted to anyway. Mm-hmm. My dad used to try and get in there as well, actually, previous when it used to be called the Cat's Whiskers and him and his friends weren't allowed in because they were black. 
So yeah, there was quite a lot of history with that venue, but it doesn't exist anymore. And anyway, yeah, SL2 did a live PA there one week and it was absolutely packed. I'd never seen it so packed. And it just felt really amazing, like just being with some friends from school and seeing all these other teenagers from different schools and SL2 performing on a ragged tip, way my brain. I think they probably did a few tracks. And yeah, that was like one of my early rave experiences. It sounds like a great show. It was mad, yeah. Yeah, especially with the dancers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. were on there was like a little stage in front of the DJ booth. Mm -hmm. And then a few steps down to a lowered dance floor. Yeah, it was just excellent. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And uh, it's funny actually. I was looking for something else quite recently and I found the flyer for that event. Oh, amazing. So I've still got it. I had no idea that I'd kept it. You should frame it. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> a little plain black flyer with like red and white amazing. type on it. Less is more, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so this next uh, tune that you've, you've selected for us is a, a tune called Atlantis by uh, a producer named Apollo 2 and then the LTJ Bookham remix. Mm -hmm. I think everyone knows this tune, but let's listen to it. Um, yeah, it's a timeless track. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it will never get old. What, what, what characteristics would you say makes a tune timeless? So I, I just love all of the elements of the track. I think it's probably one of the most perfect mm -hmm. in the music's history. Um, all of the elements work perfectly together and that's probably why it's become so timeless and like such a classic. I love the mood of it. So I actually remember hearing this, um, another rave experience. I went to an illegal rave in Croydon when I was 15. So this was before I went to Elevation that was a proper ticketed event. And um, even though I was only 15, because the same boys that I was friends with at school and my mum knew them from the area. And because she knew I was going with them, she was like, okay, you can go. I don't think she realised that it was an illegal rave. <laughs> but I was just like, yeah, I'm going to this thing in Croydon, blah, blah, blah. She said, okay, be home by 3 a.m. We didn't actually get back by 3. But yeah, just the experience, like kind of walking. So where Croydon is, there's kind of two separate parts of the shopping centre and we had to kind of walk down an alleyway to get to the back of the shopping centre and it was in this little bit out the back called Priddy's Yard and um, yeah it was just like it was really smoky there were people dancing it was amazing music um, this Atlantis sticks out as being one tune that I definitely remember and just seeing some lights and lasers go in. And I remember seeing a boy who I used to see at Ritzy actually on a, the Sunday Club 2000 event that I went to. Mm -hmm. And um, he was like, oh, do you know anyone that's got any booze? I said, no. Um, and then someone a bit later said, oh, I'm selling vodka, this big bottle for seven pounds. And I was like, yeah. what is going on here? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was another really formative experience. Unfortunately, we had to leave and we ended up walking all the way home. I don't know why we walked home from Croydon, which was probably a few miles away from where we we lived. Amazing. Maybe, yeah, three or four miles away. And on the way back, two of the guys I was with were arguing about an old 
well, I now found out that it's a Jim Polo track that had a sample saying Dark Horse, and one of them thought it was Dark Moose. But um, yeah, it was just, it was a bit of a mad night. Um, but yeah, I, I really remember Atlantis standing out and I didn't know what it was called I didn't ask anyone what it was at the time but then hearing it a little bit later yeah. and seeing it in a record shop for 199 I was like oh my god yeah I need that it still it still goes off you can still yeah, play yeah, it today yeah. it works yeah I love the progression in the tune and mm-hmm. it's yeah it's just one of the ultimate classics from yeah. our genre um, yeah the next tune it's a tune by Diggable Planets if I pronounce that hey. right Ninth Wonder, Black Italism. What can you tell us about this tune? Diggable Planets are one of my favourite hip-hop groups, so I listened to, have listened to a lot of different music over the years, um, but around that time, as well as listening to Jungle, I was into a lot of hip-hop. Yeah, a lot, lot, lot of hip hop. So <laughs> I think this album came out when I was about 16, maybe. So yeah, a little bit after I'd been listening to a lot of Wu-Tang, um, A Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul. And then I got into, maybe a little bit later, got into Most Def, Talib Kweli. So a lot of the hip hop I've loved over the years has been East Coast, New York's especially. Um, but Diggable Planets from Philadelphia, but then moved to New York. So their first album is very jazzy, like the second one, but is a little bit more sample-based. Um, I think some of the tracks are probably a little more catchy, and it's quite out there. Um, they talk about insects a lot, and the cosmos and the universe and all that kind of thing. So I think they was probably seen as quite hippie-ish, but the second album, which is what this track is from, was a lot more um, righteous and more a lot more pro-black in their lyrics. I just love them. Like I think, yeah, like I said, one of the greatest hip-hop groups. And I got to see them live, I think, maybe five or six years ago because they split up for a while, but then they reformed and they've been doing tour dates here and there. And, uh, yeah, they came to London for one gig at a strange venue underneath Chelsea Football Club. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, it was wicked, though. And I loved getting to see them. And I actually got a picture with Butterfly, who I had a bit of a crush on years ago as well. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, for me, they're just great. And the fact that it was that there was a woman in the group, Ladybug Mecca, mm-hmm. and she's excellent. It's quite unique as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hip-hop is the same as many other genres and the fact that there aren't enough women supported yeah i just think they're brilliant amazing yeah the next uh, tune is called there's more to life than this by björk come on girl yes so i got into her from her first album loved her from the beginning um and it's funny so quite a few of my influences not just music but films and just life in general come from my mum and she really liked Björk when she was in the sugar cubes like we randomly saw her on this tv program saw them the group on this tv program called the word Mm -hmm. and it was on channel four on a friday night and it was it was a little bit left field 
So they'd have a live studio audience and they'd have guests on. Some would perform, some would just be interviewed on the sofa and they'd show their music video. Then they'd have this random bit. One of the features was called I'd Do Anything to Get on TV, (laughs) where they'd get random people from the public to do some of the most disgusting things you've ever seen. (laughs) I remember once someone ate a bowl of... They had to eat from this bowl of toenails in milk as if it was cereal. Yeah, really disgusting stuff. And then (laughs) another week someone had to lick... Um, a really big person's sweaty armpit like really disgusting stuff on TV (laughs) Um, but yeah the sugar cubes were on there performing one week Um, and I remembered that after I heard her on this first album now what drew me to this track rather than one of the biggest known singles was because it was recorded on the um, liner notes in the CD that I had it said it was recorded at the milk bar Yeah. now the milk bar was a small venue in the west end that then became known as the Mars Bar, which is where Speed was. And so I was like, hold on a second. Listening to Fabio on the radio talking about Speed at the Mars used to be known as Milk. And I was like, oh my God, I know that. Got the Bjork CD out. And I was like, this was recorded there. So I really need to go to this club yeah. and see what it's like and I, I like how it this is. It's, yeah, it's really great. Especially when she steps out of the music for a while. Yeah, moment. you can hear the door. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, recorded in the toilets at Milk Bar. Yeah, it's and it's great. it's funny, actually, because um, there's one producer who links a lot of the people that I've been into, and that's Nelly Hooper. Mm-hmm. So he produced a lot of Bjork's early mater- solo material, Massive Attack, Tricky, Soul to Soul. So, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I've been really nerding out preparing for this podcast that's, that's, interview. That's good. <laughs> the more we have to talk about, right? Yeah, B- mm-hmm. Björk is uh, amazing. Mm. Uh, I kind of lost track of her for a little while because there was one comment that she made about women being the N-word of the gender. It's like, well, where does that leave black women then? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've got all of her albums up to I can't remember which year but yeah I've got all of them still on CD incredible artist she's still going yeah yeah like really unique and singular I think that's what attracts me to a a lot of the artists and musicians that I'm into is when they're really singular and have like forged their own path yeah um, and uh, yeah different and really good at what they do yeah yeah, it's, uh, she's she's been around for long, and I think she will be around for long as well. Yes, um, definitely. Yeah, the, the next tune that we have here is uh, by Tricky and Martina Topley Bird. Ooh. It's a track called Feed Me, <laughs> and it, it goes a little like this. And then we can destroy what we are. Can you tell us about this, uh, this track? Why did you pick this one? So this is on one of my favourite albums, Tricky's debut, Maxine Quay, um, which features Martina Topley Bird heavily, heavily, heavily. I think his first few albums do. But yeah, Tricky, he was part of Massive Attack, who I've already mentioned that I've loved. I've seen them at least a few times live over the years. Um, yeah, so when this album Maxine Quay came out, it it really resonated with me and I felt like a lot of the lyrics... I don't know how to word this without sounding strange. It felt like a lot of the lyrics and the songs were written for me or they'd taken feelings out of my head. So, you know, when you're a teenager trying to kind of find out 
and work out who you are and what your place is in the world and what you want to do with your life and kind of ruminating on relationships and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Um, this album really hit me hard and I've loved Martina Topley Bird since. I think she's an amazing vocalist, singer-songwriter. Um, she actually released another solo album last year or the year before. Yeah. Uh, which was nice to pick up. Um, but yeah, Maxine Quay, I don't know. I, I, I'm quite into music that makes me feel not bleak, but almost like it's a bit suffocating as well. Yeah. And that really makes me get deep into my emotions. <laughs> right, right into <laughs> the this, feels. This album does it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I think emotion. with... Yeah, with with this song, like when you read the lyrics, it's very pertinent to today as well. So it's also timeless. I think it's always good. Yeah, I think it's going yeah. to be always relevant. Nice. Next one's by Prince, the beautiful ones. Woo! Yes, there's got to be Prince in there. Is it him or is it me? Prince, one of my all-time favorite artists. Of course. I still can't believe that he's no longer with us um i think it's been what seven years already which yeah. is mad um yeah incredible like and again another very singular entity um no one comes close like the amount of instruments he can play this song so i really love the purple rain soundtrack album yeah. I'm not so into the film. I don't know if that will get me in trouble with other Prince fans. The film's a little bit crappy, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, but yeah, The Beautiful Ones, it's another song that really gets me in my feelings. Um, I just love really emotional music. And when I got to see him for the one and only time, he did a month of dates at the O2 here in London. Yeah. And apparently every night the track listing was different. Oh, really? Yeah, so I was a little bit upset because he didn't do two of my other favourite songs. One of them is I Would Die For You. But he did do the beautiful ones. And just hearing him sing and perform that live on the piano in the middle of the O2. So he'd had um, a big platform kind of in the middle of where they normally have seats or people standing in the shape of his symbol. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was playing it live on the piano. And I literally just felt the goosebumps all up and down my arms, over my whole body. He sounded beautiful as well. And um, yeah, throughout the concert, he was kind of dragging himself across the stage and playing the guitar. And that's when I Amazing. fully realised why so many people find him so attractive. Because <laughs> he's an incredible artist, but it's just the way he performs as well. I, like, I've never been attracted to him in that way. But yeah, just... I can't say the word incredible again. He's just, yeah. Amazing. One of, absolutely yeah. one of a kind. Enigmatic, you might say. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just uh, the amount of music that he produced as well. The versatility. Is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, He's mad. A, it's amazing, yeah. Still still works today. Mm -hmm. um, that brings us to the last tune. It's a, a, I can't remember what the last one is. It's a track called Weary by Solange. Yes. And it goes a little bit like this. So, yeah, tell us, Solange. So, Solange, I was never interested in. 
until this album came out that this track is taken from. Um, my younger sister has loved her from the beginning. She's a massive Beyonce fan as well. Mm. Um, but I've not really... I really wasn't interested in Beyonce either until the Lemonade album. Yeah. When she started saying, making a bit more of a statement about the world and how things are and her personal feelings. Mm -hmm. um, now, with Solange, she was a bit more bubblegum pop sounding before A Seat at the Table came out. Yeah. But when A Seat at the Table was released and just the content, like, one... I think it's a masterpiece of an album, and so is the follow-up, Find My Way Home, I think it's called, off the top of my head. They're both masterpieces in programming, um, the way it segues from a track into an interlude and then into the track again. Uh, what she's singing about, the lyrics, are just on point. And this song in particular, Weary, it really sums up how I was feeling around 2015, 2016. Yeah. Where I was spoke about earlier, kind of having to really fight to push myself back into the timeline of Jungle Drum and Bass and the history and be recognised for what I'd done. Yeah. This song sums it up perfectly and some of the others as well. Don't You Wait For Me on there kind of sums that up. Um, but yeah, incredible album. I think she's amazing as well. Um, if she never releases any music again, that's fine because these two, a seat at the table and the follow up, are just yeah, they're just both really excellent. She made her and, impression. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think everyone was was ready for it when it came out. Yeah. Um, like it's obviously written with specific people in mind. She is a black woman navigating the world, so it resonated first with black women. Um, and I think, obviously, anyone that's into good music can appreciate it. Um, but yeah, she's she's amazing. And I'm just sad that I didn't get to see her at the South Bank Centre. It was cancelled due to COVID. I did get to see her at Glastonbury. Um, but yeah, it's kind of different seeing people in a field on a massive stage than in an enclosed, oh, yeah, for enclosed sure. venue. For um, sure. Yeah, big up Solange. She's yeah. wicked. Yeah, uh, that brings us to the end of the of the, the tracks you selected. Um, yeah, I one... kind of tried to do it in chronological order as well, like what songs have meant different things to me at different moments. And Amazing, yeah, we, we didn't I change think, that, so... I think to leave off with Weary, it kind of... The way it spurred me, and that album, and the two albums really, the way they spurred me to kind of fight, refind myself and my place in the world. Um, and that obviously led to EQ50 and other stuff a bit later. So, yeah, I think musically it's been quite important for me in my music career Yeah. over the last few years. That partnered with the close relationships of EQ50 crew and, um, yeah, other stuff. Amazing. It's got me to where I am now. <laughs> and who knows where I will get you in the future. Right. Um, so before we wrap it up, we have one last segment. Um, oh. And it's a question that we ask all our guests. Yeah, I've prefaced this uh, this interview with this question, so yeah, you have some time to think about it. But yeah, the last question. Picture this: you get the chance to produce the very last album on earth. For this, you can invite anyone to work with. This could be your peers, pupils, idols, musicians, producers, singers, etc., both dead or alive. Who would you invite, and why? And also, what would you name this project? 
So, <laughs> I haven't actually finished writing the list of who I would involve, but also I'm really not sure if everybody would get on in the studio, I think. Huh? We'd have to record separate parts at different times. Um, there are people who I absolutely love, who I didn't include in my 10 tracks, who have uh, meant a lot to me over the years. Erica Badu is one. Mm, my amazing. cat is even named after. My cat is even named after her. My cat's named after Erica Badu and Grace Jones and Debbie Harry from Blondie. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a long name, but yeah, I call her Badu for short. So yeah, all all the people that I've mentioned in my ten tracks would feature at some point. Maybe not SL2 because they're not producing really any new stuff no. these days. I also couldn't think of a name either. Maybe I'll just name it after me, Flight, because it would take you on a real journey yeah. through all these weird and wonderful different styles and sounds. Um, but yeah, Prince would be in there, Grace Jones, Erica Badu, Team, Tina Weymouth especially, but she was part of Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club. Excellent bass player. I respect her so much. Mm-hmm. Roisin Murphy, amazing artist. Uh, Sly and Robbie, who I actually forgot to mention... Uh, with a rhythm track on the Grace Jones album. Yeah. They played on a few of her albums. And people should look up the Compass Point sessions, which is like really long, extended versions of a couple of her albums. So Nightclub in, Private Life, all that kind of stuff. Horace Andy would be on there, of course. Of course. I would resurrect King Tubby and Lee Scratch Perry, awesome producers, and were the foundations and the beginnings of a lot of what is done now. Exactly, yeah. In terms of delay and reverb and how people produce in dance music now. Bjork, obviously. The Wailers, they've, they were all excellent artists in their own right. Definitely need some Bob lyrics in there. Of course, yeah. And some Peter Tosh experience and playing. Donald Bird, okay. I love his jazz and funk music. Yusuf Days, incredible drumming. Yeah. Like, he, he's just unreal at playing, and I can't wait for his, his debut solo album to come out later this year. Amazing. Um, Solange, obviously, from drum and bass, Dillinger, uh-huh. Fotec. Fotec. I think could do something special with with Yusuf Days's drumming. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily need it, but just to have that extra clinical execution. This, yeah. um, Dillinger could work with uh, Robbie Shakespeare from Sly and Robbie on bass. Um, yeah, just that sound. Mm. I'd probably have to get some sound guys in there as well. Jashaka, couple from Coxon. Um, Diane Charlemagne, obviously one of the greatest singers. Uh, Martina Topley Bird, Jenna G, Dennis Brown, Barry Brown, another reggae singer that I like, Yabby Yu and Burning Spear. I yeah, I didn't finish. There's just <laughs> way too many people to include on there. Breakage. Of course. Um, Near Archives. I'm just going off the top of my head now. Who else? Optical and Matrix. Okay. But from their earlier days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Is that yeah. bad to say? More and more towards <laughs> the, the tech steppy uh, kind of stuff. Yeah, so like the the early part of the second half of the 90s, um, like 97, 98 time. Um, uh, there's so many people, so, so <laughs> many people. I can't even list them all. There's more jazz people that I listen to. Kokoroko are a great gr- group, but oh, there's yes. loads of them, so I don't know how that would all fit. Kokoroko is amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's lo- loads of people. Loads it's going to be a collective. Yeah, a stupidly large collective. But that's, I mean... <laughs> Calibre. How course. did I forget Calibre? Marcus as, Intellects. As long as the music's good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marcus and Spirit as well. Yeah. They've got to be in there. Um, then people like Kevin Saunderson, Juan Atkins, maybe some Jeff Mills. Yeah. Um, Underground Resistance crew. Of course. Masters at Work. See, now everyone's coming back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All these people that I love. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Some uh, some some D- Detroit Grandmasters. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Miles Davis. Uh Tony Allen, another amazing drummer. Fela Kuti. There's too much good music, man. Get to know people. <laughs> if, you, if you're listening and you don't know some of these names, look them up. Yeah, there's a bit of Afrobeat in there. There was some jazz, there was some techno, there was some house. Frankie Knuckles. Essential listening. Lil Louie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all of them. <laughs> Anyone that's good can be in my band, basically. Amazing. <laughs> and it's got flight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So lastly, tell us, what do you have in the pipeline? What can we expect from you and your projects in the near future? So I would actually like to get into another documentary project. So I produced a history of jungle and drum and bass for the BBC last year. Mm-hmm. And it was actually nominated for an award this year, the Radio Academy Awards, which is apparently the Oscars of the radio and audio world. Uh, I didn't win anything, but it was nice to be recognised. Um, I'd like to do a proper visual version of that. Yeah. I've been saying it for ages, like a lot of the documentaries that are made, either focus, and even some of the books, they focus on a particular era or like a very small period of time. And they're very biased and they don't feature everyone that they should. And I think there needs to be a proper history of our music made that runs from just before the beginning. So like when house and techno and everything is being thrown into the pot just before the breakbeats are added. Right up to the present day, but it needs to be like a 12-part series with each episode an hour long. That's the only way you're going to include all of or enough of the right people that need to be mentioned. Um, I mean, I had great fun making this, but it wasn't my pitch or my brief, so um, the radio documentary I'm talking about. um, So, yeah, it was great making it, but it had, like, a specific focus, so it was, like, more... a bit more mainstream looking at some of the biggest moments yeah. of the scene. But there are a lot of people who are underground who need their props as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to get into that, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. Um, I'm going to be trying to push um, the Black Herstory thing a bit more. Um, we had an event at Fabric... Uh, two weeks before recording this podcast um, uh, Mala and Steph from Deep Medi asked me to curate the lineup for Room 2 um, so yeah I just got a bunch of black women together um, amazing it was really fucking amazing it was me Sherelle Amma and a very new DJ called Virgo DJing okay and then we MC Chickaboo hosted um, I did a little bit of hosted myself but it wasn't great <laughs> um, and then we had 
Anna Lee from Represent, Rachel Wallace, who's like a pioneer from the early days. She influenced Chickaboo to pick up the mic. Amazing. And become a vocalist, basically. And Catching Cairo, who's from now she's current and yeah. it's been but she's been releasing music for about 10 years now i think she's worked with like a lot of big labels yeah it was really like a really lovely energy and vibe in there and i'm gonna try and maybe take it on the road do some more events i'm gonna hook up with deep medi again anyway to do another one or two um but yeah it would just be nice just to shine that light on all these wonderful black women artists that have been around and are around and are like trying to forge a path in this music um they deserve it yeah yeah definitely yeah um the label could be coming back soon it is coming back soon yeah um carrying on djing more work with eq50 i think that's gonna take up my time (laughs) plenty of stuff to do yeah Yeah. all right that brings us to the end thank you so much for your time natalie really enjoyed this conversation thank you very much and uh i hope yeah go ahead I hope people enjoyed the music selections and have kind of got to know me a little deeper than just for drum and bass um, yeah it's been fun yeah, thank you I'm sure they will and I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to meeting you uh, in person on the 27th of May yes really looking forward yeah. to being back in Amsterdam Melkweg Amsterdam indeed we've, we've got curated by Coco Bryce um, he will be uh, coming down himself, of course, he's, as he's the curator, and he will be going back to back with none other than Sully. Um, yes, that's going to be a wicked set. Yeah, they will play alongside you, DJ Flight, uh, Rotterdam based Bad Boy, uh, Triple Times F, and then also uh, Philo from Berlin. Um, She's an amazing DJ. Yes. Great artist, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a She's good, cool. it's such a good cooking. Um, yeah, um, it's bound to be a good event. So if you're if you don't have your tickets yet, um, get your tickets now. Uh, go put, go go, buy them. Yeah. I'll and put, you know what? I haven't actually played at the Melkweg for years. Oh, you, years. You, you, I remember I played there once years ago with Jenna G actually and Adam F. And I can't remember who else. And then I was there for the Dutch Drum and Bass Awards. Yeah, they they were a thing. One indeed. year. <laughs> yeah. And uh, me and Storm played, and Martin, and I got a little bit drunk and actually got on the mic and embarrassed myself. Um, <laughs> but it was a fun night. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, if you don't have your tickets yet, get yours now. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, yeah. Also, we have uh, made a playlist with tracks of the DJs that are playing on the night. Uh, for that, you can also find a link in the show notes. So yeah. Thank you once again, Natalie. Uh, really enjoyed it and appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with us. Yeah, see you guys in the next one. Thank you. I'll see you soon. You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcast. <laughs>